welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest is brian c adams from excelsior capital welcome brian thank you for having me Sure. Thank you very much. A little bit about Brian. Brian C. Adams is the president and founder of Excelsior Capital, where he uh, spearheads the investor relations and capital markets arms of the firm. He has 10 years of experience in real estate, private equity. Prior to forming Excelsior Capital, Brian co-founded Prime Properties, an institutional real estate private equity sponsor in 2010 and provided leadership and direction for the firm in connection with capital markets, investment management, and investor relations. So with that, Brian, would you like to add anything to your background? No, I mean, uh, thank you for having me. Um, I think we're going to get into a lot of the the details. No, I think that does a good job of, of summarizing kind of who we are, what we do. So thank you again for having me on. Sure. Thank you. So would you share your thought process and reason behind getting into real estate and commercial space? Yeah. So my story, kind of how I got into the business, I'm from New York originally. I met my wife in college up in Connecticut and she is from Nashville. So we both went to graduate school up in Boston. I moved to Nashville about 15 years ago now, and I practiced law for a number of years in town. My wife's family has a family office that has invested in commercial real estate, private equity, either through a fund or co-investment or co-GPing with sponsors for a long time. So I got exposure to some of the investments we were making when I joined the board and really had <laughs> did not want to practice law for the rest of my life. So I was able to transition into commercial real estate. Uh, because of that, I connected with my partner, Abhishek, around the same time. And I think we're going to get into this. We initially raised funds, blind pool, commingled vehicles, and now we're purely focused on syndication on a deal-by-deal basis. But that's uh, in a very brief format how I got into the, the business I'm in today. Got it. Yep. Thank you. So would you share any one breakthrough moment in commercial space? Yeah, I think um, for me, you know, we were raising these funds and they were small, but we were kind of chugging along and um, we started offering our fund investors, the limited partners of our fund vehicles, sidecars or direct co-investment opportunities on each deal that the fund was buying as a way to expand our capital base. And people loved the direct deals. And we started getting their friends and family participating. And the response was very strong. So we realized pretty quickly that we were in the wrong business, that we should just syndicate capital. And once we started doing that and really understanding and listening to our investors and trying to provide them with a solution set, to their problems rather than leading with what we thought was the best idea or investment. That's really when the business accelerated dramatically. Got it. Thank you. So would you also share your investment philosophy? Yeah. What we do along the lines of what I was referring to earlier is pretty straightforward. We've got the pitch down to really one sentence. What we do is we offer individuals and families access to direct co-investment opportunities on a deal-by-deal basis. We provide a double-digit cash-on-cash yield 
annualized that we distribute monthly. And we provide investors all the tax benefits that come from direct real estate ownership. So those are the three things that we do. That is our philosophy on real estate. We think if you're going to take the risk and the illiquidity premium, you really need to be rewarded with that kind of yield, as well as we only work with accredited but non-institutional investors. In other words, we don't work with any non-taxable entities. And so we're very focused on the tax benefits um, and, and accentuating them to the extent possible. We have a controller in-house who is a CPA with a public accounting tax background. And so that's our, our main focus. And those are the folks that we serve from the investor side. Got it. Thank you. So would you share a little bit more about your company's acquisition process, business plan and exit criteria? Sure. So to give people some perspective, we have about a $425 million gross portfolio today across 14 markets. We have 15 people in the company total. And you know the way we think about real estate investing is in order to solve for that double digit yield without taking on too much risk or leverage, you really need to be cap rate oriented, right? So you're going in basis on a per square foot and an NOI level have to make sense. And so we look at secondary or tertiary markets, which for us are MSAs or, or metropolitan areas that are 500,000 people, generally speaking, or above in the Southeast and the Midwest. We have an investment thesis that this maturing millennial generation, which I'm a member of, the narrative for a long time was that these folks were going to live in major metropolitan areas and never have children, never get married. And the reality is because of the Great Recession, that family formation phase got pushed back beyond the general timeline for most other generational cohorts. And so increasingly, and I think it's been exacerbated by COVID, this generation, which is the largest generational group in American history, roughly 75 million people, is now looking to make decisions about where they want to live, work, and play based on cost of living, quality of life, access to single family homes and access to education for their children. And so this demographic shift we're seeing play out to other secondary markets, especially ones that are tax and business friendly, like Tennessee, Florida, Texas, the Carolinas, et cetera, is something that we really want to take advantage of. And so we're focused on these secondary tertiary markets in growing MSAs in the Southeast and the interior Midwest, like Kansas City. And so once we identify those MSAs that we like, we then focus on the submarket. And so a submarket is a neighborhood neighborhood within these larger metropolitan areas. And we stress test these submarkets by looking back and seeing, okay, how did they respond to the Great Recession? What are going in cap rates? What are per square foot rates? Is there ability to bring on new product in terms of a price per square foot or what you could buy at a discount rate versus what new construction can cost you? And we just really like all those dynamics that we see playing out there. So we go on an MSA level, submarket level. And then once we look at the actual properties themselves, we're mostly focused on that $10 million and below price point, which there's just a very shallow buyer pool there. And so it enables us to have a little bit of pricing premium and just be really competitive on off-market opportunities. Got it. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. So what indicators you would look at sub-market level, Brian? Yeah. So on a, a submarket level, we would like to see vacancy rates that were never above a 12 to 15% level during the Great Recession. So that 2008 to 2010, 11 timeframe, we like to see going in cap rates in that 7% plus range. And a big dynamic or metric that we like to track is what is the replacement cost of new construction, not necessarily per square foot on the construction side, but on the lease rate side. So what I mean by that is if we're buying what is referred to to as a class A property in the best submarket in Savannah, Georgia. And if the class A rent rates 
for our products, call it a flex office building or a medical office building, is $25 a square foot. And to justify new construction or speculative development, you would need to be $35 to $40 a square foot in rent. We love that type of cushion, right? Because it means that it's a very landlord-friendly market. If the submarket is tight, there's not a lot of vacancy. It means that we're able to keep those tenants more than likely into the building. Because for us, it's all about having that really nice weight average lease term, good consistent, consistent yield so that we can keep producing those double digit cash on cash yields. Got it. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. And you have experience in both fund models and syndications. So would you share a little bit more about both and advantages and disadvantages? Yeah. And just to educate people, I think the simplest way to put this is a fund is when you raise capital and then you go find opportunities and deals. A syndication model is where you find opportunities or deals, then you raise capital around that one specific opportunity. And there's pros and cons to both, right? From a sponsor general partner side, having discretionary capital in a fund model where you can just send an email out and a week or two weeks later, people have to fund their capital commitments is a very powerful thing because you can just focus on finding great opportunities and you don't have to worry necessarily about the sales and marketing component of it when you find an attractive deal. That being said, within my network of investors, which again are high net worth individuals and families, I think a fund model is really a suboptimal way for them to invest into real estate. You know, They just prefer being able to underwrite one specific deal. They prefer being able to take advantage of the timing that makes sense from their perspective, from a risk and a liquidity point of view. And so, you know, frankly, I like the syndication model a lot because it forces me to really sharpen my pencil every deal that I underwrite because I know that I have to go justify that to my investor base. And I can't just go up and tell them, well, I think I'm going to invest in these type of things. This is the hope for return profile. These are the geographies that we like, but we're not really sure. I like having that flexibility and being nimble. And I've been in the business 11 years and I've already been through two downturns, right? So things change pretty quickly these days. And I never want to be pigeonholed into a specific asset class or geography when you know we might have to cycle out of a market or maybe a pandemic occurs and all of a sudden a new market becomes very attractive or you know we need to go down market in terms of deal size, which, we, which we've had to do because of the amount of liquidity in the marketplace today. So there are pros and cons to both. I think for real estate, because people understand it fundamentally because they've more than likely lived in a home, they lived in an apartment building, they've been to an office, they've been to a medical office building. It's tangible. I think the deal by deal syndication model for us and our investor base makes the most sense. Got it. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. And your company focusing on commercial space like a flex, industrial and medical hospitals side. So would you share a little bit more about why multiple asset classes? So what is the reason behind it? Yeah, I, I think as I alluded to earlier, we always wanted that flexibility of going where we found good opportunities. And you know, right now we really think because of last mile distribution and e-commerce. And what's happening with the pandemic, Flex Medical Office is a really attractive asset class to be in. Vacancies are very tight. The data really backs up how competitive the pricing can be. And as we've matured into our business, we really prefer those triple net lease models. There aren't as many common area expenses. They're much easier to manage from an asset perspective. And the tenant improvement and leasing commission dollars are much smaller than they would be in a traditional office building, for instance. So all those things taken together and still being able to hit our bogey of, of 10% plus cash and cash yields. That's where we're spending most of our time right now. Got it. Thanks for sharing that. So would you share uh, any of your best commercial real estate experience so far? 
in terms of my journey as an investor or entrepreneur or deals? Anything, any best experience, best commercial. Yeah. You know, for us, I think the realization that it's the high net worth individual and family space is such an underserved marketplace that historically the only access they got to direct deals was via a fund or a fund of funds or a REIT model. The ability to go out and syndicate broadly and provide really, really high level investor relations, communications and reporting and give the Main Street investor that Wall Street type experience, especially given all these advances in technology that we've had over the last 10 years, I think it's a very exciting time to be in our business. Awesome. Yep. So would you share any challenging or worst commercial real estate experience so far? I've made a lot of mistakes, so I don't think we have enough time uh, to go through them all. But I'll, I'll tell you kind of one of the big ones, you know, what's, once I, because I referenced to earlier, we started offering up our LPs and the funds, sidecar investments, and then broadening out to friends and family and third parties. And it was terrific. And, and we raised a lot of capital that way. I fell into a very classic trap of being a real estate deal guy and not understanding that I was a small business owner. And what I mean by that is we were executing good investments um, and we were doing a good job finding opportunities raising the capital and managing the asset. But our investor relations and our reporting and our communications were were dreadful. And we did not put enough time and resources and energy into those parts of the business. And our investors let us know, right? I think we, we grew really quickly. And all of a sudden we had a pretty large portfolio and we had a lot of investors to manage. And we just did not have the infrastructure to handle a couple hundred investors, which is what it ended up being. So it was a very difficult time where I basically did a mini roadshow to all of our investors and they let me know pretty clearly that they were disappointed, not in the investments, but in the experience of being an investor. And that forced me to basically take everything down to the studs and rebuild all of our functionality there. And I'm proud to say that after a lot of work and money and effort, you know, we consistently get notes from investors that do multiple syndication deals saying that, you know, we're one of the best, if not the best sponsors to work with in terms of the investor experience. But it was a very difficult time. I think ultimately that experience made me into a better manager, but it was certainly a challenging 12 months. Awesome. And thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And so what is your current focus and share something you're excited about now? Yeah. So that our current focus is, like I said, solving those three problems, right? Going back to the issues that our investor base has, which is access, yield, and tax benefits, especially given the run-up in the stock market recently. So we continue to solve those three problems. Those three principles underpin everything we do from an investment perspective. But right now, there's an adage in real estate, I'm sure you've heard it, that it takes the same amount of brain damage or heartburn or whatever cliche you want to use to do a $100 million deal as it does to do a $10 million deal, which I can tell you is true, but the pricing is different. And so we've really gone onto smaller opportunities. I mean, we'll do seven or $8 million acquisitions. It's a lot of work. You're often working with a very unsophisticated seller. They can be challenging transactions, but by having the fortitude to do that, we found some really great opportunities. And now that we've closed a fair amount of them, we're starting to get some really good off-market looks because the brokerage network realizes that we are a quote unquote good buyer, right? We're not going to retrade we're going to be very professional. We know what we're doing. We've been doing this for a long time. And that really excites me because we're finding some excellent opportunities in that sub $10 million flex medical repurposing retail space, especially in these growth markets in the Southeast. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. So any one advice that have impact on you? 
I had a, a mentor tell me that we were given two ears and one mouth for a reason. And, and I think once I started actually listening to what my investors wanted and not just telling them how great I thought I was or I thought my deals were. And once I started having a more empathetic approach to how I built the business, it's allowed us to scale very quickly. But I do think there's an issue within our industry of being ego-driven a lot of the time. And again, to go back to that kind of mistake I made. Remember that if you want to be a sponsor syndicator, it's a terrific business, but you have to realize that you are going to be a small business owner. And a lot of your time is going to be spent on things outside of the deals themselves if you want to do it properly. So HR, marketing, reporting, communications, sales, uh, because the fundraising abilities allow for people to have smaller minimums, which you know is a big pro for, for the business we're in. All those things have to be running smoothly in order for you to make those acquisitions and manage those assets. Got it. Thank you. So any of your personal habits that are helping me to be successful? Yeah, I'm a big believer in having a routine and being consistent. And so, you know, I wake up at 4.10 in the morning, I drink a cup of coffee, I do some mindfulness exercises, I go to the gym at 5, I get home at around 6.15, I spend time with my kids for about an hour, I have breakfast, read the news, talk to them, and then they kind of go off to school. And then I work for roughly 12 hours. And then I try to spend time with them at dinner and then bed. And so that's kind of my day, which maybe sounds a little bit boring and, and humdrum to some people. But I think having that routine and having that energy allows me to be the best manager that I can. And so I'm a big, obviously there are moments where you have to get outside of your routine, but I think it's really helpful to have structure around your day and your week. Yes. So true. And any one book that impacted your life and what way? So I'm a recovering attorney and the book yeah, I get this question a lot. It's a great question. The answer I always give is when I was a 1L, a first-year law student, uh, Real Property 101 is a required course for first-year law students. And I remember sitting there in class and my professor explained to us that the entire global finance system is underpinned by people's ability to use real estate as collateral and to take credit out. And I never really thought about it that way. But when you think about leverage, mortgages, the debt markets, how it all makes the entire financial ecosystem function, it's pretty mind-blowing. And when you look at countries that don't allow you to have fee simple ownership of assets, you know their ecosystems really struggle because if you have a 99-year lease or a 50-year lease, it, it's inflexible, right? And, and so that book, just that concept in the book in general just kind of blew me away. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. So how about giving back to community, Brian? Yeah. So my wife and I are very oriented towards our children's school. It's the most diverse school in Tennessee. So in order to allow for that diversity, parents and families that can give need to give in order for them to have a diverse and you know population of students both from a socioeconomic as well as uh, international standpoint. And so for us, we spend a lot of our efforts there because I think education is the best way for people to transform to kind of generational wealth creators. Cool. Yeah. So how can listeners can connect with you? Yeah, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So if you look me up, Brian C. Adams at Excelsior Capital, I'm happy to connect, drop me a note, I'll set up a call. And then of course, the website is excelsiorgp.com. We do a ton of co-branded content collaboration. We have a lot of educational content and tools on there and not just for real estate, but for other alternative asset classes or private equity. So I'd encourage people to go check that out. And then obviously, if you want to learn more about the investments themselves, the website's probably the best way to see the portfolio. And if you want to 
to have a call with somebody from our team to learn how to, to find out about our investment opportunities. That's the most efficient way to do it. Cool. And thank you, Brian. Thank you very much. Appreciate for adding value to the show. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Sure. If you like the show, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. And if you want to connect with me, please send me a message info at ushacapital.com. Thank you for listening. Creating Wealth Through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. I hope you learned something from the show. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only. As always, please consult with your own CPA, legal and financial advisor before investing.